Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. So this morning, I want to share, I'm going to kind of take a moment and pause and share a little bit about where I think God has us and why and what kind of that means. Um, It's been quite a year, obviously, and uh, the reality is that no one knew what this year looked like except for God. But he did, and so that means that God has very specific things that he wants to do in his people and in all of the people of the world. And so this morning, I want to kind of, as I said, step back and pause a little bit. Uh, and, and, and really, as I think about leadership in, in a number of, a while ago, and, and we kind of bring this up every so often, we kind of walk through what we see as the biblical understanding, the biblical definition of what love is. And that love is, as modeled by Jesus and presented in God's word, it is where patience, kindness, and honesty all come together and overlap. And that is, is what love is, because love is patient, it's kind, and it's honest. And I think for me, some of the ways that that gets expressed in leadership is vulnerability and, can, and being candid And I think for me, the reality is that I can't lead anyone without speaking freely, but also prayerfully spirit-disciplined. And I think that's where we have to recognize that it is important to be candid and speak freely, but as Jesus followers, we don't just say, well, this is what it is, and this is what I'm going to say. We do it in a way that is spirit-disciplined, that the Holy Spirit disciplines our words and the way we communicate. And so really, as I've been kind of reflecting on my calling over the last number of months, really, uh, my responsibility, really any shepherd's calling for that matter, is to humbly lead toward the realization of the upside-down kingdom of God and the process of becoming like Jesus as individuals. So while God's redeemed family live all over the globe in different national and political contexts, we are called first to the kingdom, to God's kingdom, even at the expense of our national and political contexts. Our first family is the family of God carrying out his mission to seek and save the lost. And so that's really what I and really anyone who who claims to follow Jesus has to answer for when they see Jesus face to face. And so as, as I reflect on 2020, uh, leadership has been difficult. And I think leadership is always difficult. Leadership is never easy if you're in a context where you're leading other people. And, and, and so leadership is difficult. But, but I'd say in this season, whether it's, whether it's at work or at school or at home or whatever context you're in, I think this year in particular, leadership has been difficult. Been, been looking at some statistics about the church in this season that we're in. Uh, Barna did a... a a poll, a study, and um, I want to kind of share with you some of the things that they have found out. They, they actually did a study back in September of 2019, 
And this was of practicing Christians or church people, people like us, people who go to church, people who see that as a value. Um, not just people who maybe, you know, go, you know, Christmas and Easter, but, but church people. And what they found, they asked the question, they said, how many of, do you attend church weekly? And 79% of those church people polled said that they attend church weekly. So 79% church, church weekly. They actually asked the same question in September of 2020, and they uh, kind of expanded the question to how many of you attend church weekly, which would include in person or online. So that was clarified. And in September of 2020, of the same people, church people who were questioned, 51% said they attend church weekly. It said that one in five churched adults have abandoned church altogether during this time. Um, I was listening to a pastor in Nashville and he was talking about, he and a couple other friends were together talking about kind of the, the state of their churches and what they see. And, and they, made, they made this summary kind of statement. They said, he said that I think about one third of the people who have been in church have walked away mainly because they were there because they just felt like they needed to be there. It was, they, they, but they were waiting for an opportunity to kind of exit. So he said maybe one-third of people are, are in that category. He said about one-third of people remain home but engaged for good reasons, for health, for who they're living with, that kind of thing. And he said another one-third, that last one-third, uh, have assessed any risk that they may face and they are ready to go and they're out and they're saying, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to move forward. And, and I think that's a pr- pretty, pretty good explanation of what I'm seeing. Vanderblumen Group, which does research and they also uh, work with churches and, and people in ministry to, to find uh, employment and that kind of thing. Um, they have some predictions for 2021, and one of the predictions is that there will be a major turnover in pastoral leadership from pastors retiring early to pastors deciding they want to have a different occupation to not cut out for this, overwhelmed or burnout or just quitting. And, and so that's kind of what, what they, they see trending and what they see for 2021. And so all of that to say it has been a difficult year. Uh, Today and next week, I want to talk a little bit about where we are, what I see, and what God might be saying to us, and then what we're going to do about it. Kind of some vision for, for what we, I believe, as a local body of Christ is called to do about where we are. And as we've walked through this whole process in this season that we're in, uh, our convictions as a church, and again, looking and, and even renewing those convictions, that God established his church and calls her to glorify him. He calls his church to live in community and to submit to the governing authorities and to populate the kingdom of God here on earth. The tension that we've experienced is to gather or not to gather in person. Uh, What does online look like? Do we follow directives? Do we not follow directives? Every single decision brings a new set of tension and really criticism. 
And my core belief walking through this is that every decision, at least that we make as a church, is made and executed with a humble spirit and an obedient heart. And in the context of that, I, I know that, that I can tell you that I'm doing my best, but have assuredly made mistakes. But I will tell you this, the next time we experience a global viral pandemic accompanied with racial tension flowing into national unrest in a polarizing election year where there's a national shortage of toilet paper, coins, and bubble gum, I'm going to do a much better job. And I just assume that there's a shortage of bubblegum because what could, could make people happier in 2020 than just handing out bubblegum? Have you ever seen anyone chewing bubblegum not happy? And really, like, here, here's a piece of hubba bubba. Like, you can't but smile at that moment. Like, just even saying hubba bubba makes you smile. And some of you are like, what is, what, is he making up words? No, that was a bubble gum. And one of my favorite flavors was literally named mystery flavor. I don't know why anyone would put that into their mouth. <laughs> but but, but that, that's, yeah, we kind of go through this and we're all kind of figuring things out. And, and one of the things that have become common today, uh, some some obviously our verbiage has changed over the last year and there's words that we would have never used that we use this year because they become words that describe things and it's been interesting this year that we have talked about essential and non-essential we've never really talked about that in culture before essential and non-essential and, and as I think about the church this year and think about the things that I've heard and seen I hear pastors and churches demanding to be labeled essential. And I remember when this first started happening and we got into it a little while that uh, Governor Newsom didn't identify the church as essential and there was many people who were very upset about that. And then later, President Trump identified the church as essential and there was lots of people who celebrated and, and, and cheered and it's interesting because I think, really, we shouldn't acknowledge either of those designations. Thank you, President Trump, and thank you, Governor Newsom, but neither of them have the pedigree to declare the church anything. Because, you see, government has no responsibility and no power to decide what church is or is not. We do not look to the government to receive confirmation for or against our existence or our practice. See, God alone conceived and established the church as a result of his redemptive purposes. The church was born out of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it is only Jesus Christ who defines the church. Now, this does not mean that the body of Christ does, does what it wants or rejects what it doesn't like. We have, we have the right to do what loves God and loves neighbor. And that very statement means that there are no cut and dry, easy answers for this time. Maybe you say, well, if you care about people, you'll do this. Or if you are a courageous Christian, you'll do this. If, you, if, 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 if people kind of go to those places and say, look, if, if you love Jesus, this is what you'll be doing. 
Or if, you're, if you really trust God, this is what you'll be doing. Anyone who's firmly planted in one of those places probably isn't actually leading. And, and so really, when we think about the church and, and the, the reminder that, that, that I've had and the thing where I've gone back to this year is, is that this, the church is a people called out from every tribe, tongue, and nation who have become God's family. That is what the church is. Listen to what the Apostle John sees in his vision in Revelation 7. He says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the Lord and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So what he describes there is that he sees the end. He sees what we have to anticipate if we follow Jesus. And he says that he saw people, a great multitude that no one could number. It was so many people. It's like bigger than the national debt. Like you can't count that high. And he said no one could even put a number on how many people from every nation, from all tribes, from all peoples, from, from every single language standing before the throne of the Lamb with the angels and the elders and the creatures in heaven. And, and so, so we see that, that the church is a people called out from every t- tribe, tongue, and nation who have become God's family. Galatians 3, Paul says this in verse 23, he says, Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That the church is a people called out from every tribe, tongue, and nation who have become God's family. You see, and Paul says, he says that if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Other than Israel, there is no nation that God has made a covenant with. The only covenant is the new covenant since Israel, and it is the new covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ and is made with God's global family, not a national entity. Because God's family, his church, is made up of every nation, tribe, people, and language. And so while believers live in the midst of the laws and the freedoms in their nation, God's word supersedes the context of all of those. God's word is above and beyond all of those things that we live under, regardless of what part of the globe we live on. 
and, and, and thinking a little bit about God's global family because that's what the church actually is. And I think in so many ways it's easy for us not to, not to see. It's, it, we just see our church and maybe our community and maybe even our nation and we're kind of limited there. We hear little bits and pieces, but we don't really connect with that. You see, in 2012, there was an estimated 2 billion Christians in the world. And by 2025, the most Christian continents, the continents on this globe that will have the highest number of Christians is going to be Africa and South America where there is inconceivable poverty. In fact, today, right now, what do you think the average Christian looks like? Like It's easy to think that, well, you know, the average Christian is like middle class me. (laughs) It's easy to think that because we don't necessarily see a lot of things that are out there. Today, the average Christian is a woman in a village is either Africa or South America who's inconceivably poor. That's the average Jesus follower today, right now, in 2020. In fact, see, if, if, if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you have more in common with an inconceivably poor woman living in Nigeria who follows Jesus than you do with someone in your political party who doesn't follow Jesus. And how much, does, how much do we feel that? How much do we recognize that? And here's the thing, following Jesus is not the same as a public promotion of the Judeo-Christian ethic. That's like saying, well, if you uh, follow the Mosaic law, then that's the same as being surrendered to Jesus. It's not the same thing. Those are worlds apart. And and so here's, here's what Jesus says in John 17. In John 17, Jesus prays a prayer in the, in the hearing of his disciples. His disciples are gathered around him and Jesus prays this prayer and it says, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I, that I had with you before the world existed. And then later, he transitions in praise for his disciples. And, and I want you to remember that, that Jesus' disciples were a very interesting group of people. They were all very different, had different opinions and different extreme thoughts. And he prays in verse 14. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. 
As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. Now listen to this, because he goes from praying for the disciples that are immediately around him to praying for us at Cross Point this morning. And not only for us at Cross Point this morning, but for every person from every tribe, people, and language all over this planet right now, this morning. He prays this. He says, I do not ask for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may, listen to this, that they may all be one, just as, Father, you are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. One of the things that I think this pandemic has revealed is that we deeply struggle as people. That the church of Jesus Christ is not good at loving one another. That we don't sacrificially love our brothers and sisters in our own local bodies, let alone our brothers and sisters around the world. And in many ways we live and think with little different than any other American. Jesus prayed this prayer for us. He said that they may be one. Those who have who've come to me through the word of the disciples, which is, is recorded in, in the Bible. So all of us who follow Jesus, Jesus says, I pray that they may be one. And he qualified it. The nature, the, the intensity of that oneness. He says, just like Father, you and I are one. That's a pretty serious illustration, isn't it? That's a pretty serious comparison. Jesus says, I want my church, my global family to be one as the Father and I are one. And he even says, and I give them this glory. We are glory carriers of God the Father and Christ the Son in our unity as children of God. But we so easily and quickly move to other things and say, no, 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 no. But they, they don't believe this particular thing that I feel strongly about. And so I really, I can say whatever I want on Facebook about them. So where does that leave Jesus' literal prayer? This isn't like it's, it's, it's we're looking at the Bible, which is authoritative. And then you've got, in some of your Bibles, you've got the red letters where Jesus is teaching. This isn't Jesus just teaching. This is Jesus' prayer specifically for you and I. That we may be one as the Father and Jesus are one. That's a pretty serious thing that Jesus prays. And he does that because of the mission he's called us to. He says the only way that they can accomplish the mission that I've called them to is if they are one like you and I are one, Father. And I think what I've seen in the pandemic is there is a significant 
lack of unity within God's family. And and so really when we think about the need to be unified and to be one for the mission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, right before Jesus departs and ascends into heaven, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Which is great because Jesus says, look, this is the mission I've sent you on as you are one And just so you know, I will be with you to the end of the age. That's not only being encouraging to us, but also letting us know that I'm watching your unity. I'm watching what's going on because I am with you. I am there present with you to the very end of the age. And so Jesus says, this is your mission. And and I love, I, I think it's really spelled out as a pattern in Acts chapter 14, because this, is, this was what the apostles did in response to the mission that Jesus called them into. And, and Acts 14 describes the pattern that was done. In Acts 14, verse 21, it says, When they, the, the apostles, had preached the gospel to that city and had made deci- many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so here's the pattern that that Jesus sets in Acts as his his disciples, the apostles, go out and, and fulfill the mission that Jesus left with them. In verse 21, we see as, 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 as the pattern of carrying out our mission, it is evangelism. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they preached the gospel to a people who didn't know Christ. New converts, the news of Jesus through word and through deed to those who have either not heard or who have not yet accepted. And then in verse 22, it says, it says uh, then they returned to these other cities that they had already preached the gospel and had made disciples. It says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God. That's discipleship evangelism, discipleship is the pattern that Jesus gave us for carrying out our mission to mature believers in Christ, to communicate a new way of life that replaces the social norms and the behavioral patterns that they have become accustomed to, a process of exchanging my will for God's will. But then there's one more part of the pattern. He says, and when they had pointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Community. An integration of these disciples into a a new community, the church. And that doesn't remove them from the wider community, the, the city or the place that they live, because Jesus already prayed, I don't want them out. I want them there And and so community is connecting into the community of God's family, both locally and globally. And so the thing is, we have to not shrink back or dilute the mission. We don't have the right or authority 
to focus on one or the other. Each one of these pieces of the pattern is critical for the mission of Jesus Christ that he has called us into. Evangelism, discipleship, and community. And so we can't just focus on discipleship and not recognize evangelism. We can't just focus on evangelism and ignore community. We are called to equally work through and pursue all of those things, that pattern that God set in his word of evangelism, discipleship, and community. And it's interesting, during this pandemic, what I have seen mostly from the church and what the church has kind of become known for is that we have the right to gather. And I haven't heard much about evangelism. I've heard about our rights to community the way we feel it should be done, but it feels like we've ignored the opportunities for evangelism that God has placed in front of us during the season. Therefore, we set aside our preferences and equally focused on the lost world, the building of our faith, and the connection to one another we have in Christ fully aware that we are a small part of God's global family. That's what Jesus has called us to. That's the church. So when I think of 2020, and I know that it's almost getting old talking about how bad it is. But I feel like 2020, if I were to summarize it in kind of words in a picture, I think of the first Avengers movie. And I think of the scene where Loki and Hulk are on the top floor of Avengers Tower. And Loki is kind of smarting off to Hulk and Hulk just grabs him and starts smashing him on each side. Isn't that kind of what 2020s felt like? <laughs> and I think it's felt like that even in the church. The interaction of church people feels like that often. My experience of 2020 has been I've either been a coward or I have been courageous. I've been told that I've hidden behind verses, that I've been afraid, that I have a lack of trust in God. I'm not brave enough to say what needs to be said, that I'm a sheep bending to the government. But I've also been told that I'm leading well that I've had moral courage, that I've taken action on well thought out and considered moral and spiritual grounds despite the potential risks and consequences to myself. In the same week, I was told, Matt, you are leading the church to no longer be the church. And then, Matt, you are leading the church to be like Jesus. I think we've all experienced things like that from people who we felt close to, we thought as family. It reminds me of, of a statement that I don't remember who said it, but they said, if you have a ministry like Jesus, it will probably be made up of 12 people who don't get your illustrations and one who wants to kill you. <laughs> that is a pretty good, that's a pretty good summary, isn't it? <laughs> that's kind of right on, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but I want to clarify that, that, 
that there are so many people in, in my life, in my circle, in, in our church, who've been encouraging and supportive and inspirational and have sought to ask questions, listened and considered regardless of their strongly held opinions. But part of our human nature is that we hit criticism or personal attack and that's really kind of all we see, isn't it? I have some pandemic heroes as I've been looking. I've got lots But I think of people who have maybe had the most difficult time or most, just the most difficult and and maybe even least grounded or, or, or the most unknown. And I've been watching them and I've been interacting with them. I think of Beth Mead, who really hasn't left her house, she's part of this church. She hasn't been able to leave her house because of her health. But is she ever active on Facebook? And typically, the more active you are on Facebook, the more messes you make. But not Beth. She, tells, she says everything on Facebook. And I, what I have seen from her Facebook posts and what I've heard from her is nothing short of reflecting Jesus. Jesus. Of all people who have reason to be angry and bitter right now. But Beth is imaging Jesus incredibly powerfully. I think of Ray and Laura Newman, who again, because of health reasons, they're stuck. Yet I hear from Ray pretty regularly on Sunday afternoons, texting me, telling me, what he got out of the message and church that morning as they watched online and encouraging me in the hard things that I've had to lead through. I think of Joni Strom, who has given her life in China to to, to evangelize and disciple and create community. And as she's here She has had this big picture of God. And while she struggled just like the rest of us, she has been so firm on a foundation of Jesus Christ because of how big she knows God is and how she sees the global family of God. I think of Ben Ward, Penn and Carol. One of the first times I got to see Ben in person again pretty far into the pandemic and he was asked he asked me how I was doing and I kind of shared a little bit and he just said I can't believe people are complaining (laughs) that is a Ben Ward thing to say (laughs) and he and Carol are kind of like you know what this is here it'll go we just need to follow Jesus like those are some of my pandemic heroes And many other people who I haven't mentioned who've written and emailed and told me how much they're praying for me and love me. And and I'm also on an incredible team of people leading Crosspoint who are not afraid to voice their convictions or disagreements, yet still run toward the mission together despite the personal cost and the sacrifice. You see, I think the problem right now that I've seen that, that has been revealed in the church is that the same issues dividing Americans are also dividing the church. 
I frankly don't care if General America is arguing about masks or closures or government or whatever they're arguing about. But when the church argues about the same things, that's a problem. And and frankly, it is in direct opposition to the prayer of Jesus, isn't it? I mean, imagine if you were praying for someone, somebody said, yeah, I'm having a really hard time, and you prayed for them, and as you said amen, they said, hey, you know what, never mind, I don't want the things you prayed for me. That would be kind of offensive, wouldn't it? But isn't that what we do in our division in the face of the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17? See, in a lot of ways, I think we, including myself, we've behaved in a manner suggesting that we're willing to give up spiritual maturity for my conspiracies, for my rights, for my science, for my fear, for my influence, my sources, and my comfort. I think the image of God, the imago Dei in us, must be screaming out that this isn't working and that we need something eternal and good and true, that we need Jesus alone, unhinged from our preferences, politics, and philosophies. Not in some sentimentalized way, but a radical obedience and discipleship to Jesus where it's like we hate everything else but him. That is our only hope, Princess Leia. Like that is our only hope. For real. You see, we've lived in this tension and we've had these peaks and valleys. And I know I valley every time I drive. (laughs) But I peak in different places and then valley again. I think what the pandemic has revealed in the church of Jesus Christ is that I think the church those who make up the church, us, I think we seem to have a frail faith dependent on environment rather than an active faith anchored in Christ. And the thing about anchors is that when you're anchored to something, you are stuck there. We've got to be anchored to Christ alone, but honestly, we have anchors in more than just Christ, don't we? I do, and you do whether you've recognized it or not. And the problem with being anchored in anything in addition to Christ is that those anchors will compete and we will have divided hearts, let alone unity in the global body of Christ, but we won't even be in unity inside of ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have faith because we do. And I just mentioned that there are some pandemic heroes of the faith and so many other people that I don't have time to mention. But I'm not saying that we don't have faith. But, but Travis, about a month ago, when he was preaching, he said that if we die, we go home, that we have nothing to fear. And we all cheered, which is right and good. I don't doubt that many of us here at Crosspoint would be willing to die for Jesus, but the question is, would we be willing to live without taste or without freedom for Jesus? In that moment when Travis said that, I wrote down, because this is what hit me in my, in my brain, I thought to myself, I will follow Jesus to death, but will I live for him without what I want? 
Will I live for him without what I want? We are far more anchored, we are far more nationally anchored in our faith than anyone would like to admit. In fact, many of us still won't admit that we are nationally anchored in our faith. We've got an anchor in Jesus and an anchor in America. The Constitution. The Bible is so clear on our citizenship, but the draw to what is familiar and present and visible is so strong for all of us. It is really hard, even though the Bible is so clear about our citizenship. It is still hard for every one of us to recognize that and understand that and live that out. And the thing is, here for us, in our sliver of God's family, we live in a context that is not normal as far as God's people goes historically. Do you realize if you look at the authors who God used to record his word in the Bible, the Bible was primarily written by the poor, the exiled, the marginalized, and the persecuted. The Bible was written by prophets who were rejected and persecuted. The Bible was written by by individuals who were enslaved in exile. The Bible was written by people who did not enjoy the favor of the government where they lived. The Bible was written by the marginalized, a tax collector. You see, when we read the Bible, we read it from a position of favor because that is our historical context. That's my context. We read the Bible from a position of favor because of our great country. And what that, I think, has caused is our faith to stop shallow. Like, for example, our concept of persecution. I've heard so much about we're being persecuted. The church is being persecuted. I'm not sure we have a good understanding of persecution. I mean, instead of using our freedoms all this time to grow God's kingdom, we complain about what we've lost and choose to fight by voting and passing legislation. Why have legislation to bring our Bibles to school when we barely open them, let alone surrender to the words contained in them and take those words to heart? Why pass legislation when we can't even be in unity with somebody in our own church. I think in some ways we would be satisfied with a moral society where we can't actually tell the difference between the redeemed and the unredeemed than a society that challenges the truth and is hard to live in but clearly identifies those who need Jesus so we can pursue them. I don't know if any of you are familiar with something called Biosphere 2. Not to be confused with Biodome with Pauly Shore and Stephen Baldwin. Not the same thing. That great 1990s movie. Or Encino Man, which wasn't even in a dome, but my memory makes it in a dome. I don't know. But Biosphere 2 was an experiment at Arizona State University back in 1991. And what they did was they developed three acres, and put them into this airtight dome. 
And so it had everything that the world has in it. It had the trees and, and, and all of this stuff. And, 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 and what they did was they put a group of human beings in that biosphere. And then they, ex- they did an experiment to see how they functioned, how they grew, how things worked. And there was all kinds of data that they were looking for. They made lots of discoveries and learned lots of lessons. But one that was unexpected to all the people who were part of the experiment. And it had to do with trees. See, in Biosphere 1, which is our planet, we know the the, the behavior of trees and how they grow. But in Biosphere 2, the trees grew super fast. They grew way faster than they expected them to grow, way faster than they do out in, out in, 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 the, in, the, in the environment. But every time they began to grow, before they reached maturity, they would collapse. Every single one. So, so think about this for a second. You're living in this biosphere too, which is completely cut off from everything else, and you've got these trees that are growing at, at an extremely fast rate. And then they get to a point and they just collapse. This really confused the, the experts. And then they found out that it turns out that wind was the culprit. Not the presence of wind, but the lack of wind. You see... The presence of wind in a tree's life and development makes it strong and is therefore able to mature and not fall down due to its own weight. See, these trees were growing in a completely calm environment and when they got to a point, they could not stand their own weight and they collapsed. See, if there's no wind, the trees end up being much weaker and aren't able to survive for very long but they grow really fast. I believe that this pandemic has revealed that many of us, myself included, have grown up fast in a culture that really doesn't challenge us very much. Or there's been an absence of wind in our lives, difficulty, trials, and suffering. In fact, our culture, even Christian culture, teaches us to fix or avoid difficulty and pain. And I hate to admit it, but I'm becoming more and more convinced that the unbiblical prosperity thread in Christianity that we tend to, tend to say is, is more characteristic of the Pentecostal church, I think that runs through the American mindset of following Jesus. And this has resulted in a faith that may not be able to stand under its own weight, let alone a moderately serious pandemic and government overreach. Obviously, this doesn't characterize everyone in our church. But be careful not to dismiss it. Interestingly enough, do you know what runs consistent through the individuals I have as pandemic heroes? They have all experienced significant wind in their lives. They've had trials, suffering. Some of them, actual persecution. 
yet they've experienced that. And if you have a conversation with them, you'll see that they are trees that stand tall because they have shared in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. That might be something to think a little bit about as we reflect on what we've walked through this year. I I believe that this pandemic and this year that will continue is God's merciful test for his global family to recognize and evaluate where we are in the development of our faith and how we do or do not think like Jesus. I think that's what we're in right now. So over the last few months, God has been working on and in me, directing me and I think our staff toward what he wants from us in light of what's been revealed. And, and frankly, I'm, I'm done with reacting to the ever-changing environment, not that it's been wrong because we've had to, And I'm not saying that I'll ignore what's going on around us or be foolish, but I am seeing a clear path moving forward. And as much as I've been tempted to walk away from this, I've never been more sure of what God has called me to do. The test has been given. We have some feedback. And I think it's time to shift from surviving to action. So next week we're going to talk about the therefores, the things that we're going to be doing to join God in what he's doing in us, the things that we're seeing from the feedback of this test that we've been walking through and how we are going to become those trees that will not collapse, that our lives will be able to take the wind that comes. You see, if you want a faith that will withstand the wind that Jesus promises is coming, then stick around. If you want to truly step into who we are as the global family of God, then you're in the right place. If you want to experience peace that is grafted into your character, not dependent on circumstances, then hold on. But, but if you want to go back to normal or the way things were, then I want to just ask you this this morning. Because I want to love you better. I want you to consider sticking around and seeing if God wants to change the desires of your heart. Because I believe that if we ruthlessly root out the idols and tear down our strongholds we've built, God is going to do a work that you and I cannot comprehend. But it will be uncomfortable for all of us because we are by nature an adulterous people. but God is a faithful and perseverant God. I'm going to invite the the worship team to come back up. What I want you to do this week is take some serious, focused time to wrestle with God and question yourself and question what I've said this morning. And I want to tell you, I want you to come back next week to hear how we are going forward to become those righteous trees that God is committed to making us into. Like the psalmist says, like a tree planted along the water. Father,
You are so good. And we are so undeserving. God, I pray that you would help us to put away our pride and our prejudice and our preferences. And we would pursue the peace that you have set before us. God, that we would take seriously the calling to take up our cross. God, that we wouldn't dismiss the prayer of Jesus Christ that was prayed for us, that we would be one like you and he are one. I pray that we would repent from the lack of understanding and empathy and compassion that we've had during the season and have somehow in many ways missed the mercy and grace that this season is in our lives. That we would consider this pure joy the trials that we face. God, I pray that we wouldn't just grow up fast and not be strengthened as Luke writes in Acts that we would be strengthened as we grow so that we would be able to stand up under the weight of what comes against us. God, that we would accept the wind in our lives so that we could be transformed and become like Jesus Christ. And God, help us to make the mission the main thing. God, we would take our anchors out of the different places that they're in, whether it's our comfort or our nation. Whatever it is, that we would be only anchored to Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have won. And as long as we choose to be on your side, we will enjoy the benefits of your victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.